This is One on One's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Another edition of Five on Three. What's up, everybody? Jackson Heil, Chris Hennessy here. Chris, been a while for me since I've been on this podcast. Glad to be back. How's everything going, buddy? I'm great. Yeah, I think it's been since the off season that we've uh, we've talked some puck together. So. It's uh, it's good to be back, and um, I love podcasts when you're upset and not happy. I, just, <laughs> I mean, you're my friend, but God, it just makes me so happy. Well, I, for obvious reasons, of course. Um, I, I think the last time I did a podcast was, I believe it was when Alex Petrangelo signed. I think that was That's the right. last time we did something together. Um, and I found something to rant about there. I usually do, but... Um, for this episode, it won't be too hard for me to find, um, and that comes in result of the play of the New York Rangers lately, who have now lost four in a row after last night's really catastrophe um, against the New Jersey Devils. They gave up three goals in the third period. Um, they lose Jacob Truba, who's now out for at least a month, um, which is – a real disaster now when you consider the fact that Keandre Miller missed yesterday's game. We don't know how healthy he is. Um, Panarin's still out. Philip Heedle's out for at least another few more weeks. So this disaster continues, but we'll get fully into that in a moment. Talking Rangers. We're talking Islanders who, unfortunately, you're in good spirits right now about um, – with their play of late, they have won three in a row. Three impressive wins nonetheless, too. I mean, they're one of they're one of what? One. They're one of one teams to beat. One of one team to beat the Bruins in regulation. In regulation. And fair. they've done it twice. Um they shut out the Sabres last night in Buffalo to complete a two game sweep. Uh Elias Sorokin gets career win number one. We'll dive into that. We'll talk a little bit about the Devils who actually looked pretty impressive last night and I've been pretty impressed with them as a whole um coming off what was a 15-day layoff and they were dominant in the first period last night against the Rangers and how much that has to do with the opponent we'll see but um they look like a team that's playing some really good hockey when they've been out there this year in just 10 games and then we'll mention what was one of the funniest moments of the week and that was the Toronto fiasco a few nights ago and I remember having this game on a little bit just because it was on NBCSN for a brief moment. NBCSN or NHL Network, it was on one of the two. Um, but it was like 5-1 late the second period and the Knicks were on. So I turned it off watching the Knicks and then I get a text from you. I get a notification from Twitter from Elliot Friedman and it's like, wait, did, what? What, what well, I was happened. The Knicks are on and the Islanders are on, so neither one of us are watching it. I have the NHL TV package, so once the Islander game is over, I I go overtime searching, like five to four with a minute and a half to go, having no <laughs> idea what's happened. And then they score a goal right as I turn it on. They're like, they come back from five one down. I was like, holy crap! I start texting you. I start texting Caldwell. What a night! <laughs> what a night! It, it was that was nuts for sure. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Leafs as a whole, and then. Some interesting comments this week um, from Gary Vaynerchuk on the state of hockey who, listen, 
it's no surprise that Gary Vaynerchuk is not the voice of the NHL, but I, I do think he had some, excuse me, I muted myself for a moment there by accident, but I do think he had some very interesting comments on the direction of the game um, and where it's going right now in terms of the marketing of the game, which we will coincide with the discussion about the outdoor games, um, specifically one taking place at Lake Tahoe. Um, in what is now only a few days, Saturday, that is going to be coming up. Avs in Vegas, which should be a fun one. And then Sunday, it's going to be um, Flyers and Bruins, which will be really cool to watch. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm excited to see what this thing looks like with NHL players on it because we've kind of seen some pictures about it. But we'll get further into that. But we are going to start with the Rangers because – Obviously, I am on the podcast, and when I got something to say, I got something to say. But, Chris, this team has been quite a disaster lately, and um, for a lot of reasons, one being injuries, which are obviously uncontrollable. Um, I, I mean, I, I think we knew from last year that probably the most important player to any team in the NHL was Artemi Panarin, without a doubt, and you see how bad – this roster is without him. Um, but that's honestly besides the problem at this point. I, I look at the issues of this team right now, and, and they unfortunately go way beyond what they are right now because this team can't freaking score. And even when he was in the lineup, this team couldn't score. I mean, you look at the last four games dating back to the loss of the Islanders when they got sh- shut out at home. This team has one goal from their top six in their last four games. It was Booch last night, right? And it was Buchnevich last night on a goal that probably should not have gone in, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a bad goal by Blackwood, but that's besides the point again. Um, this team has not been able to get production from their top six. And, and listen, when our Artemi Panarin's out, I get it. Um, and to be honest, last night I was actually pretty impressed with some of their lines. I mean – Capococco, I think, has been awesome this year. He just hasn't he hasn't been able to score, which has been the story of the season, really, because I, I think you look at the Rangers and um they're getting a lot of production in terms of they're keeping the puck in the zone, they're getting a ton of high grade chances, which is part of the reason this is driving me nuts, but this team can't score. And Mika's advantage at his culprit number one. I mean, the guy has one goal this season, he's got one point in his last like ten games. Um after basically being the best goal scorer in the NHL last year, when you look at goals per game and stuff of that nature, but it's frustrating because you look at the goaltending they're getting, and early on in the year, it was not the case. I mean, Shesterkin was struggling. Georgiev was a bit of a disaster himself, but they're getting the goaltending now defensively, even with the injuries to Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba and having to play Brennan Smith. Libor Hayek, Anthony Botetto, all three of which who stink. They're playing those guys every night, and they're getting the defense, and they're getting the goaltending, but they're not scoring. And that's the part that's frustrating to me because you look down this roster at the beginning of the season, you look at the strengths of this team, and you think this team's going to have no problem scoring goals. They, they, yeah, and they paper. shouldn't, too, with the talent. They really shouldn't. I mean, with Panarin, he's going to be able to carry a line – with when Hedl was in there centering Di Giuseppe 
and Kako, that line was grooving, but he's out. But the, but the top line is where you expected alongside Panarin, you were really going to get the scoring from. And it's incredibly disappointing to this point that they haven't gotten it from Mika Zibanejad. He needs to figure it out sooner or later because if he doesn't, this team is in a lot of trouble going forward. And they're already in a lot of trouble in this division because this division is the best in hockey, I think, by a pretty significant portion when you look at the talent and you look at the games that they're going to have to play going forward, they're not getting any easier. They really aren't. And last night's loss to the Devils is a perfect example. I mean, they get a goal from Colin Blackwell, who has been surprisingly terrific for this team. They get a goal from Buchnevich in the third period. They can't convert any chances. And, and that's been the story of the season, Chris. And I, I don't know how else to put it because you should be encouraged by the fact that, honestly, I think they're playing pretty decent hockey. Like, they, they took the Bruins to the wire both nights. Um, they gave up two terrible goals to the Islanders in the third period to their fourth line on the game prior to that. And last night you're in a 2-2 game in the third period where you've played really good hockey and then deflection goes in for the Devils. And once you knew that went in, that you just know they're not going to come back from that because this team can't score. And that's the part that's just incredibly disappointing for me is because you don't know where the goal scoring is going to come from anymore because the top line stinks. Panarin's not out there. You have to rely on the bottom four to score. And that's not winning hockey. It isn't. No, it's not. And I think you made a lot of good points there. And if you want to back it up with numbers, I certainly can. Through 14 games, only one player has more than 10 points, and it's Artemi Panarin, which is not good. Adam Fox is their highest scoring defenseman. He only has seven points. Chris Kreider has five points, and he's a minus six and has 17 penalty minutes on the season. There's a thousand guys who you can look at their roster, who you can look at their stat sheet and say, that guy is stunk this year. And pretty much it's everybody but Panarin. And put up room to improve. We talked about that last week with Mike. Benarin's looked good, but not as good as he was last year. And I think a player that he's 19 years old, but Alexis Lafreniere has basically been invisible. I mean, you watch these games and you don't even remember he's out there. Like the Islander game, right? That was the perfect example of what's been wrong with the Rangers all year long. I think it was Shesterkin, right? Yeah, it was Shesterkin. Shesterkin plays pretty freaking well for about 50 minutes in that game and then just caves in the last 10. Their defense was, was good. The Islanders didn't get a ton of good shots. Uh, the Sezikis goal was crashing the net and the club. Martin goal was a sick pass from Clutterbuck. They could not score. They could not score. Barlamov played a fine game. He didn't let any goals in. He played a fine game, but it wasn't anything like extraordinary. The defense was good. It wasn't anything extraordinary for the Islanders. They got two fourth line goals in the third period and they won the game. But Lafreniere was non-existent. I don't think Brendan Burke said Mika Zibanejad one single time in the entire game. And I don't – and the defensive players, when they turn around to offense, that's what Adam Fox is there to do. That's what Keandre Miller is there to do. I actually think Miller played very well in that game. But there's just – there's no transitional into offense when they play well on defense. I don't know. I mean – they, they let's not defend Tony D'Angelo and he should be gone, but that's a piece that they're missing right now is a transitional oh. player to get it from defense to offense. Because once you get set up in the offensive zone, you have one, a top 10 goal scorer, top five goal scorer in the world playing left wing on the first line. Not yesterday. I understand that, but a top goal scorer on the planet. 
the transitional game is not there. They can't get it set up. And then once they do, it just goes down the other way or somebody takes a penalty. And yeah, Shesterkin and Georgiev have been better, which is fine. But I don't know, that, that Islander game, it didn't look like there was just any momentum heading the Ranger way at home against the Islanders. No, I, I think you're right, definitely to an extent. Um, and I, I think one of the one of the ways to look at this um, personally, I mean, you look at like the high danger chances they've had. I mean, they're, they're shooting 17% on high danger shot attempts. Um, in general, this team where they're really struggling, like shooting the puck. I mean, this team's shooting six, just over 6% this year. Like you have to think that's going to change at some point with the talent they have. But I've also been saying this for now the last like six or seven games and it hasn't. And, and not all of them have been against all-star goalies either. Like, Mackenzie no. Blackwood is fine, but nobody's confusing him for, you know, Patrick Wall. He's a fine goalie, but they did score three goals. And, I mean, still. And, I mean, Rask, Rask is excellent. I mean, and Rask murdered them both games. Yeah. Like, Especially that like, one, that national, that national game. Yeah. Uh, like, they, could, they should easily came out with at least three points of – at the very minimum, too. Like, both of those games should have went to overtime at the very least. Um, but, like, there's a good argument they should have won both those games if they can convert chances, and they can. And, and that's, like I said, been the story of this season so far. But, like, their PDO on the year, which is measuring shooting percentage and save percentage combined, um, it's .98 right now, which is amongst the lowest in the league that's at the moment, which – Makes you think that something will change at some point because they're getting too many high danger chances for that to be the case, and they're getting good opportunities. But like I said, like it's been a stretch of like seven or eight games where I've said this now, and that's where you start to question: Is this team just snake bitten, and is this team just going to be like this throughout the rest of the season? And the question is, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows the answer to this because I don't think anyone expected Mika Zibanejad to have one goal through 14 games right now, um, especially after the type of season he had. I don't think you expected that top line in general with him, Kreider, and Buchnevich. Who, I think Buchnevich has been the team's pretty clearly the team's second best forward this year, like without much of a question mark. Um, but like I don't think you expected the top line to struggle that much. I mean, Capo Caco has been awesome lately but he can't find the back of the net so like the worries are starting to grow with me because it's just a question about the, can this team score and like every t- every game that goes by where it's really a 2-1 game with the one goal coming from a Kevin Rooney or a Colin Blackwell at this point or a Julian Goche which isn't a bad thing because their fourth line's been good but like as the struggles continue for these top two lines, you that's when you really start to question, all right, can, can this team actually do this or not? And I, I think from a product standpoint, the hockey has been fine. like that, And that's an encouraging sign at the very least. But at some point you got to score goals because at some point you got to get results. And I, I wasn't expecting this team to make the playoffs coming into this year. So – that's why I am less concerned from a long-term standpoint because got to remember, this is the youngest team in the NHL. There's no question about that. Um, and they're going through a ton of injuries and 
on top of the fact where you lose your second best defenseman from a year ago in Tony D'Angelo because he's an idiot. Um, but th- there's a lot of moving parts to what's going on right now. So I'm not going to push the panic button, nor will I probably push it anytime soon because I think t- to be realistic, you had to understand the expectations of this team coming to the season. Um, and in this division, playoffs was not really one of them. I mean, it was in consideration, yes, especially after the way they closed the season last year. Are they able to get a spot in that 24-team fiasco up in the bubble in Toronto? But um, I think the biggest thing is just, as a fan, you're frustrated watching. The process, I, I think, has been pretty good so far um, because – Defensively, they've been a lot better than I've expected, especially with the personnel they've put out there and the personnel they're going to put out there going forward. But it is frustrating from a fan's perspective, Chris. It really is. And um, I I think over these next few weeks, we'll really find out how dedicated this team is to the process because I think that's very important during times like this where you're not shooting the puck well. Puck's not going to the back of the net. And even with – the goaltending being good lately, I'll be honest here, they haven't gotten a big save when they needed it this season. And the bounces just aren't going away, which, hap- which happens. They were due for it after last year. And frankly, after the last two seasons, because they've gotten a lot of bounces that have gone their way, not only on the ice, but with the lottery and things mm-hmm. like that. So they were due for it. But at the same time, now's the time where you ask the question, can this team overcome it? And it's one we'll find out over the next few weeks. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, in our time together, you've not been, uh, the leader of the David Quinn fan club. (laughs) Um, so after last night, when he was questioning the effort, Kreider's questioning the effort post game, uh, curious where you stand on him as of right now. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not a David Quinn guy. Like we know this from my time on the podcast. Um, uh, my opinion really hasn't changed, to be honest. Um, if anything, I think it's actually I've I've gotten a little better with it this year because he's showing at least a commitment to play the young guys, even though the numbers haven't been there. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I think it's been pretty obvious that Capo Caco has been probably the Rangers' best forward since Panarin's gone out, and he's rewarding him with playing time, even though the puck somehow isn't going in the net for him. Um, Alexi Lafreniere, I think, has gotten a lot better over these last few games. And like I said, their best line last night was Strom, Kako, and Lafreniere. They had millions upon millions of chances, and they just can't score. Like, it's just unbelievable. So I credit Quinn for that, for giving the young guys chances. And I think, like I said, the process has been better this year where you look at them at all strengths. They're a positive expected goal team right now, which we definitely was not the case a year ago. So I, I think there's improvement there. But at the same time, like, I still have the same questions about him that I did after last year. I mean, the team takes a too-many-men penalty pretty much every night. Um, there are times in the third period where we don't see the young guys when I feel like we really need to see them. And, I, listen, not a lot of my questions have on him have changed. So um, That's fair. I would say this, I, like I mentioned, I think it's – a little bit of an improvement this year in terms of my standing with him. But at the same time, there's a long ways to go this season and there's a long way to go in the process from an outsider. I'm curious what you think, because um, obviously I'm, I have a 
big dog in the fight here. And you were obviously an Islanders fan from an outsider perspective, but I'm curious to see what you, what you think of him. Yeah. I think that his handling of the young guys is exactly what you expected when you hired a college coach and a guy who can develop younger guys into studs pretty quickly. Obviously, you know, FBU, he went to a lot of NCAA tournaments and, and won a lot of big games in the playoffs. So I think that there's still time for him. I don't think that the clock is running out, but I think there are some serious questions that have to be asked about the the offensive output of this team. And I think last year, Lindy Ruff, if you want to make a nice transition here, Lindy Ruff was kind of blamed for a lot of defensive issues as the defensive coach. And maybe that was fair. Maybe that wasn't. Now, the Devils crushed the Rangers last night, so maybe it wasn't fair. Um, well, I mean, I think I think it's a wait-and-see kind of thing. I, I, he'll obviously have a job next year as the Rangers head coach, but I think time is ticking, but it's not not an urgent, urgent um, issue. No, I'm with you. Um, I think, honestly, a lot of the problems have come uh, defensive. Like, defensively this year, I've actually been pretty – pretty significantly impressed by them um, in terms of what they've been able to do. But, like, at the same time, I was a Lindy Ruff hater to the death, and the Devils look fine this year. So, like, I, I can't really say much. And um, I, I guess we'll transition into the Devils while we're on the topic of it because they are a team I have been quite impressed with this year, Chris, personally. I mean, you look at the advanced numbers on them, they're seventh in the NHL right now in Corsi, which is just shot attempts. Um, they're owning 52% of the shot share each game, which I think is impressive considering the roster they have. Um, they're getting the goaltending, that's for sure. They're winning the expected goal battle almost every night. Um, this, this team looks like a team that could potentially make the playoffs, Chris. And, and in this division, I think that's a little crazy, but – Considering what they have, I mean, Jack Hughes has been awesome for them, which is great. Um, but I, I think the biggest story for me when you talk about the Devils has been Mackenzie Blackwood, who I think has been terrific. I mean, there have been some weird games this year where, like, I mean, I remember the first time the Rangers played the Devils, it was the Mackenzie Blackwood show. Last night he made some spectacular saves um, in big spots to keep that a tie game when it was, and then obviously maintain a lead for them in the third period. But like Scott Wedgwood, who hadn't played an NHL game in an eternity, has been winning games for them too. I mean, he beat the Islanders this year. Yeah, he shut out the Islanders. If I'm not mistaken, like yeah. they, like they've have found ways to win some crazy games this year, and and I think that what's so impressive to me is that. It doesn't look like it's luck so far. And, again, it's only a 10-game sample size because of COVID and whatnot. But, I mean, they came off a 15-day layoff yesterday and were excellent against the Rangers. I mean, they were dominant with the puck in the offensive zone. They got production from all three lines. Um, they got five goals, which I, I think is very obviously impressive, especially with the way that the Rangers defensively have looked lately and the goaltending has been. I, I I have been quite taken aback by the Devils this year, and and I think that 
it's something to monitor going forward because I, I'm not sure that the numbers are going to be sustainable in terms of is this a team that's going to dominate shot share? Is this a team that's going to get the goaltending? But to this point, they have, and I think it's worth talking about because this was, I thought, by far the worst team in the division from a talent perspective coming into the season. And they're 5-3-2 and two through 10 games right now. And coming off a of COVID layoff, they were dominant yesterday. And I, I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you look at the difference between them, Buffalo, and Minnesota, now Colorado came off of a COVID layoff too, but they're the most talented team in the league. So we'll kind of put them aside. They beat Vegas last night. But Minnesota came off of their COVID layoff yesterday and Buffalo came off it on Monday. Buffalo scores one goal in two whole games against the Islanders. Minnesota gets shut out last night, and the Devils score five goals against the Rangers. So I think that has to do with coaching. Obviously, it has to do with leadership on the team. And you look at Jack Hughes. I mean, we talked about Capo Caco putting together a nice season. Jack Hughes is putting together a nice season and getting the scoring to go along with it. Early in the season, he was atop the league in, in goals. That's obviously changed now with uh, missing the games. But – they battled through this COVID layoff, and uh, they're back with a big win, and they have another game tomorrow night, obviously. But I don't see them <clears throat> making the playoffs, excuse me, because there is one team from the Met, uh, the Eastern Division, excuse me, that's going to get left out, whether it's um, – the Bruins are probably going to make it. So it's – you know, whether it's the Flyers, Penguins, Caps, or Islanders, one of those teams is going to get left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't see uh, an opening for the Devils, but I think they have put together – a really nice sample size uh, through 10 games and are the numbers sustainable? Probably not, but it's, it's worth keeping an eye on because the goaltending has proven to be good. But the thing is the goaltend, this goaltender Mackenzie Blackwood has proven to not be good in the past. So could this change in an instant? Absolutely. It could. So um, I think that's something to keep an eye on, but are they still the third of three teams in New York and the eighth of eight teams in the East? Yes, they are. Or maybe they're the seventh of eight because Buffalo was really terrible. I would say but, seven of eight. Yeah, they're probably number seven out of eight because Buffalo is so bad um, with uh, $19 million tied up on two players. But um, they they have put together a nice 10 games, and we'll see we'll see where it takes them. But probably not um, the, the, uh, the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about it before. The goaltending has been unbelievable. I mean – they're, they, as a team, between Blackwood and Wedgwood, have the highest save percentage in the league at .945, which is incredible. Really um, their high danger save percentage is second in the NHL at 88.46%, which is really, really good, only behind Montreal and Carey Price. Um, but, yeah, I mean, can we expect them to get the same type of goaltending? I don't know. Um I think that's really the question that we're all asking here because I I don't think they're going to get that same level of goaltending. I think the biggest question is, is is this team going to score more goals going forward? Because um, you look at a performance like last night, like that's how you feel like they're going to have to win games this year in order for this to be sustainable. Like they had a ton of chances. They took advantage of those chances. Um, and they certainly outchanced the Rangers last night, especially in the first and third period. Um, but this is a team like that. If they're going to keep outchancing teams, you feel like the goaltending isn't going to be as big of a factor as needed, um, like it's been early on. 
because they're going to get opportunities to score goals for sure. Um, and that's my biggest question is, will they be able to finish chances? And a lot of it comes down to their big time players. I mean, Jack Hughes has been awesome so far. I expect that to continue because we know the type of talent he is. Um, Kyle Palmieri will need to step up for sure. Um, and I mean, they're getting production from a lot of different places, which I, I think is probably the most encouraging part of New Jersey thus far outside of their goaltending because um, like they get a goal last night from Sharon Govich to take the lead on a deflection. Like Merkley scores a goal late to really seal the deal. Um, like they're getting product and they're getting production from their D too. I mean, listen, as much as I've talked poorly about PK Subban and deservingly. So I think he's looked a lot better this year so far than he has last year. So there's a lot of encouraging signs. How much of it's Lindy Ruff? I'm going to wait and see on that one because um, I've seen him try to manage the D in New York, and it was quite the tragedy, to say the least. So I'm skeptical on putting this on Lindy Ruff. But, again, as the, as the production continues to come, it's harder and harder to really deny the job he's doing. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But let's talk about the Islanders, like you mentioned, too are one of those teams that may end up being on the short end of the stick, but they keep playing like this. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I mean, they've won three in a row. Like we mentioned, the only team to beat Boston regulation this year. And they're playing good hockey. And and last night, maybe one of the more encouraging games for me because you saw it all come together and you got the goaltending for Emilio Sorokin um, that you really felt like you needed to see from him. Um, Obviously, I think Varlamov still is the go-to guy in the number one, but I mean, I, I think as this year goes on, the, the biggest thing to watch for me, because, listen, you know what you're getting with this Islanders team. I mean, they're not a team that's going to put together a ton of chances, but they're opportunistic on offense. They really limit you defensively, um, and they make life really difficult for for you in all three zones. Um, and and that, that's Barry Trotz for you. I think the biggest question for me going forward is, will the goaltending remain elite? And Varlamov's had a solid start to the season um, for the most part, at least when I've watched him. And Ilya Sorokin with probably his best performance of his young career thus far yesterday. And that's the biggest thing for me that you're probably going to see a two-goalie system going forward, just given the the past with Trotz. Um, I mean, you look at the last two years, it's been Grice and Varlamov going back and forth. His first year, it was Leonard and Grice. This year, it's probably going to be Varlamov and Sorokin really having a timeshare. And uh, I'm curious to see what you think about that going forward. But to me, I think that's the biggest question mark for the Islanders because I think you really know what you're getting every night from this team. And that's a team that's going to limit high danger chances, a team that's going to make difficult life difficult for you in the neutral zone, be really structured defensively and a question of will they be able to score enough goals. And a lot of that comes down to their own goaltending is can, can they keep a lot of these games from becoming opened up? Can they, can they win 2-1? We know they can do that. Can they win games 1-0? We know they can do that. The only question as to if things would change would be the goaltending, and it's been rock solid so far. Yeah, it has. And Sorokin in four games has been pretty good. He's at about 900 save percentage. Uh, like two and three quarter on goals against. So it's not terrible, but it's not fantastic. And Varlamov has been just remarkable all year long. 
Um, I, I waved the white flag on my Varlamov take last playoffs, but it's, it's over now. I mean, this guy is a stud and what I like to have Robin Leonard, of course, but um, Varlamov has, has been absolutely amazing this season. And I think the issues with Sorokin, why this is just his first win <clears throat> was not because of him it was because of the team, you know, that Scott Wedgwood game where they got shut out by a goalie who they pulled off uh, the streets of Newark uh, the Islanders didn't score a single goal, and Sorokin only let up one or two to a Devils team that was hot. I think it was 2 nothing. So it, the problems never really lied with him outside of that first game at the Garden, um, game two of the season. So uh, it, was fu- it was good to finally get him in the win column, um, and he pitches a shutout um, to do it, too. Um, but what happened to, for me, this turning point of this season, was when those Sabres games got canceled. Uh, the week of February 1st. Um, They went to Washington for two games against the Washington team that was battling the COVID. You know, Ovechkin, Orlov, Kuznetsov, and Samsonov were all out uh, with COVID protocol um, breaches. And the Islanders lost both games to to the Capitals on the road without their four best players, or four of their best players, I should say. And they gave up goals to Connor Sherry, and they let some, you know, guy I don't even remember who it was in goal stopped them for two straight games and then they went to Philly and lost two heartbreakers in overtime and we're going to come home to play Buffalo and got a week off with no and they weren't under COVID protocol so they were able to practice get the rest days they needed whatever it was and since then they have only lost uh, the game against Pittsburgh in overtime and that includes beating the Bruins that includes going to the Garden and beating the Rangers and that includes two of the most dominant performances you'll ever see the last two nights against Buffalo. I mean, Monday night was a three to one win in which they did not let up a shot on goal in the third period. Um, and last night was a, an absolute suffocation in the third period too. They got like five or six shots on goal Buffalo, but uh, the Islanders just did not let them breathe um, and get any quality chances while up to nothing. And then potted an empty netter at the end to make it three. So that was really promising. And now they're playing Pittsburgh again. I think in this kind of division format, uh, a streak like this is, is twofold of what it was in the past. Because if you remember the 17 game point streak, well, last year they beat the St. Louis, they beat Florida, they beat whoever else. And like, those are, and that's great. Then you need to beat the teams you play, but that doesn't help you in the metropolitan division. Now, in the East, they're on an eight-game point streak in which they beat the Rangers. They got two points out of four from the uh, two points out of six, I should say, from the Flyers. They beat the Sabers. Uh, they and then they lost in overtime to the Penguins. And that all impacts both teams, and it's just it, it's extremely helpful when you get off to a poor start. And now they're second in the division, third in points percentage um, in the division, so they're pretty firmly in that spot. Um, and being able to beat Boston is good because nobody's able to beat them right now. Um, so that, that's promising, and they've done that twice. But overall, um, promising so far, and we'll see. I mean, I have faith in the goaltending. I do. Um, Noah Dobson, I think, has, has shown himself on the offensive side really well, but he's had some tough games defensively, including that Ranger game. He let up a couple breakaways um, that he got help from uh, Varlamov on. And uh, I think that the defense is, is good, but it's not as good as it was last year because they don't have Devontae's on it. And so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But it is promising, no doubt. But 
there is uh, a lot of hockey left to be played. And as I mentioned, five good teams for four spots. And that doesn't include New Jersey and the Rangers. Yeah, I, I think you look at this division right now, um, and specifically, like you mentioned, with those five teams that are really fighting for four spots. I mean, I, I think Boston and, and the Islanders have really solidified themselves as the two best teams in the division, personally. Um, I, I think you look at the advanced numbers, you look at the Bruins in general. Like, I think it's pretty clear these are the two best teams. Um, I honestly, like, I'm not too impressed with Philadelphia right now. Um, I know the record's good, but, I mean, you look at the numbers for them, um, and they are the worst team in the NHL when it comes to shot share um, by, like, a pretty significant margin, which I think is a big red flag. And we've seen this with Elaine Vigneault coach teams going forward. Oh, that's your boy. Um, yeah, so like I, I see the concern. And listen, this is a team that it's it's a, similar to a lot of Elaine Vigneault teams with, with Philadelphia in that they love to play on the counterattack. They love to withstand pressure in their own end and then use their high-level talent to score goals, um, which they have done to a T this year, which makes me think that they will be fine. But overall, I haven't been too impressed. Washington, I think, is going to – also come back to earth a little bit too because they're a team that is shooting 11%, nearly 12% right now, which is almost first in the NHL, second only behind Philadelphia, who happens to be shooting 15% right now, which isn't going to continue. It's just impossible um, for a team to hold up that level um, of shooting percentage for Philadelphia. So, I, that's where I would be concerned with them. I mean, I, I think – I really think Pittsburgh's going to be fine, even though the goaltending's a question for them. Um, the production outside of Crosby, Malkin, and their stars has been a question, but I think they're going to figure things out. Um, but, yeah, I think it, the, if whatever team gets left out, one of the two – I think it's going to be Philadelphia or Washington, personally, just because I, I think you look at what we've seen to date, and to be honest, it's not all that impressive. To me, I think it would be Pittsburgh. Uh, not to discount Cindy Crosby, that'd be very silly of me, but I think if you look at the goaltending situations in all five places, that they have by far the worst, and I'm not in love with their defense or their depth. Um, so for me, it would be Pittsburgh, but because um, I think that Carter Hart can carry the Flyers for a little – Carter Hart and Kevin Hayes can carry the Flyers to a four seed and they'll get shelled by the Bruins. But I think that the, the combination of those kind of guys – and Joel Farabee's looked pretty good so far. and uh, They've had a couple of nice players uh, come up as, as younger players in this team. So, for me, it would be Pittsburgh. But whichever team gets left out, I think, is going to have um, a vengeance next season and when hopefully it all goes back to normal and we're back in the regular playoff – format which nobody loves either but it's um a little bit better than this one for those kind of those kind of bubble teams uh before we we fully transition i just want to mention something about uh buffalo who stinks who stinks on ice they're so bad no pun intended um jack eichel has this year and next year left on a new uh, before a no move clause hits his contract in two years and then he has like three or four left after that um you really want to get the Eichel rumor started with me? I mean, look, <laughs> I, 
I don't think they're going to trade him to the Rangers or the Islanders or the Devils for that matter. Uh, the Islanders don't have the, the draft capital or the prospect pool to trade for anybody after J.G. Patio, and that's fine. Um, the Rangers do have the prospect pool, but do they have the draft capital? I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but he's the captain of the team now. He's been there since he was drafted in 2015. But, man, oh, man, I – and I've been to Buffalo once. It seems like a lovely place. I love Nick DeLuca. He's a great guy. <laughs> Their jerseys are very nice. Other than that, I see about no good reason to stay in Buffalo. Um, yeah, I, mm. I don't know, man. I mean, Jeff Skinner is signed for an eternity. He's got like seven years left at $9 million. Kyle Oposo still has three years left at $6 million. Their cap situation is god-awful. They have a million dollars left in cap space, and they're the worst team in hockey – or the uh, third worst team in hockey right now behind – above uh, Ottawa and Detroit. So, to me, I don't know. Is Jack Eichel going to request a trade? Probably not. Is Taylor Hall? Yeah, I would say so. I think that Taylor Hall is not going to be on this team come the trade deadline because there's no reason for him to be. He signed a one-year contract at 29 years old, like a moron. And now he's – and what's he going to do? He's going to sit in the bottom of the division and get COVID every other week? Like, what I, – I don't – I did never understood the Taylor Hall contract. I still – I it makes even less sense now without freaking terrible they are. I didn't hate the contract. I didn't hate the idea of going to prove yourself. What I With hated Buffalo, was though? the decision to go prove yourself in Buffalo. Like, go prove <laughs> because yourself we know how that ends. Like, like, go prove yourself on the Penguins or on the Blues or on any other team that's good. And Buffalo was just terrible, man. I don't know. To Last be fair, we did, to- see, we did see the blueprint for proving yourself in Buffalo with Jeff Skinner, like we mentioned. And he got money out the wazoo for that, which, by the way, it, when we look at worst contracts in the NHL, I, I think that probably has to be at the top of the list right now. Um, yeah. Even with some guys who – like are really, really atrocious hockey players who are getting paid buttloads of money. I, mean, I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you point out a worse contract than Jeff Skinner. Yeah, um, now that Andrew Ladd and Louis Erickson are coming to the end, Jeff Skinner's going to start taking yeah. the cake here. Like going forward, like if, if there's one contract you don't want, I think it's his. Like first Probably. and foremost, I do want to say this about Eichel though, because I actually disagree with you on this. I think he is going to request a trade, and I think he should too. Because oh, I'm not saying he shouldn't. I just don't. Think no, no, no. Of course. Yeah. Um, I I know what you mean. Um, and I think we're both on the same page in that there is no reason that he should want to stay in Buffalo. But I think we've reached a boiling point with Jack Eichel, where he knows how bad this roster is. He knows how bad they are going to be going forward. And he and, knows he's taking up 12% of the cap space, too. Yes. And on top of the fact that they're going to have to pay Rasmus Dahlin soon um, when they really don't have a lot of money to work with. Obviously, Hall's going to be off the books and whatnot, so they'll have some money to play with. But, like, it, this team is in dire circumstances, and I don't know when things are going to change, if at all they're going to change. But, I mean, I would I would request a trade if I was him, personally. I know he signed the contract there, but I would request a trade if I was him, personally. I don't think there's any question about it. I think he will, too. So, we'll see what happens there. Um, let's move on to Toronto quickly. I, I know we've been going long here, but one of the funniest games in recent memory um, – to not only blow a 5-1 lead, that's embarrassing in itself in a span of 21 minutes, but to do it against Ottawa, like of all teams, the dire Ottawa Senators who can't do anything right, have the worst goaltending in the league, 
um, have been a tire fire over these last few seasons. To lose like that to the Senators, I mean, does it get any more Toronto than that? I don't know. And I'm going to pose this question to you because I've been seeing this on Twitter, um, and I think it's been hilarious trying to figure out which has been the worst loss for the Leafs in the last decade. Oh, the Bruins. The Bruins in Game 7. There's another, there might not ever be anything worse than that. From a significant standpoint, yes. But I think you also have to consider what happened last year Losing to the uh, Boney Rider with David Ayers. I mean, losing a blowing a 5-1 lead to Ottawa has to be right in that conversation, too, I think. So what's worse, losing game seven, losing to a Zamboni driver, or losing to a team full of Zamboni drivers? <laughs> it's an interesting question. I would still say game seven because they're just snake-bitten playoff-wise since that game. And they can't win anything, especially against Boston. Um, it's by far the worst loss on there. Like, I don't. No one's going to question that. The most embarrassing is is the goal is the goalie. Yes, and this I'm, is I'm the funniest. I think I think that's how the superlatives get get laid out. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And listen, I mean, blowing a five only Todd, I think they had a 99.7 chance mm-hmm. percent chance, I should say, of winning that game. When it was, and the last team with like that high of a percent chance was the 2010 Blackhawks. So yes. all these on Twitter are saying that they're going to go in the cup now. Which I am not buying for a second. And I'll give you the chance to talk about this too. But I think a lot of what they're doing is a product of the division they're in personally. Um, mm-hmm. and But the division they're in is going to get them to the conference finals. That's what you have to remember. This playoff situation has them playing against these seven or six other terrible teams until the conference finals. I'm not disagreeing with that too. And um, I think, listen, we know Toronto, we know they're going to find a way to choke in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Like we, it, it's just Toronto. Like whether that is in the conference finals where they get the opportunity to really show themselves on the big stage because of the catastrophe of the division they play in, or they lose to a team like Montreal as well. Um, I, I think we know they're going to find a way to blow it. But personally, I would pump the brakes on any real conversation about Toronto because, I mean, the division they play in just isn't that good to me. I mean, I've said a lot about Edmonton in the past. My opinion still holds true about them that what they're doing to McDavid and Dreisaitl is a crime, specifically McDavid, obviously, but they just have nothing around them. Um, Montreal has been solid so far, no question about it, but. Um, I have my questions about Carey Price and their goaltending. Winnipeg is really interesting because last year they were one of the worst shot share teams in the league, but still found a way to make the playoffs. They're crazy talented too. Um, as we know, Calgary is talented. Um, Vancouver was fun to watch last year, but I think this was pretty obvious to know this was coming, especially after losing Markstrom over the summer and then Ottawa's Ottawa. But like, it's, it's a weird division to evaluate because it looks like on paper it should be talented. And you look at last year, I mean, there's a lot of playoff teams on this list from last year. But you go to the year prior, and there was one playoff team on this list. Mm-hmm. And that was And last Toronto. year is somewhat of a throwaway year because they only played 65 games anyways. Yeah. And, I mean, Montreal shouldn't have been in the playoffs last year by normal standards. Winnipeg the same way, I believe. Um, Vancouver also. Mm. Like Calgary and Winnipeg 
were in there and should have been the mix, but like they were teams that bowed out in the playing round. And right. none um, of those teams made a deep run, even the Eastern Conference teams, but Toronto, yeah. Montreal, none of them made any significant run in the playoffs. Um, and there was a lot of change over there, especially at the gold thing position. You mentioned Jacob Markstrom ends up in Calgary and he's been all right so far. And Holtby is in Vancouver. And I mean, I don't know. I think that Toronto will win the division pretty convincingly, but in the predictions podcast, I did say that I had Calgary going to the conference finals because I just had to pick a team besides Toronto. Cause you know that they're going to blow it somehow. I like that choice personally too. I mean, I, I look at the rest of the division, like I don't buy Montreal still. Um, and probably Foley's been a Toffoli has been exceptional. He has been. At, He's been awesome. A, Josh Anderson has been playing really well too. Um, I mean, like their roster, I I like. Like I have no problems with their roster. I just it, it's crazy to think. Like if you told me a few years ago, I'd be saying this. Like, like my worry about them is Carey Price. Like mm-hmm. that is my concern with Montreal. Like. He has not aged well. That contract's terrible, too. I mean, we talk about worst contracts in the NHL with Jeff Skinner. Prices is up there. Um, but, like, that would be my main concern with them, personally. I mean, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, I think if they figure things out, like, seriously on the shot share end, I think they're a team to really be reckoned with. I think if Dubois can put something together here for them and kind of give them a little spark. Agreed. They could be really interesting. That I mean, we didn't mention uh, the Columbus or that division at all, but that's turning into the Jack Rosselvick trade instead of the Patrick Line trade. He's been really fantastic is. for Columbus. But We've seen Tortorella bench Line on numerous occasions already, which is just hysterical to me. It is. But um, yeah, I mean, you look at like the numbers. I think like Montreal's fourth in the league in shot share, like which I think is really interesting because that is a, that is a way to sustain winning for sure. Um, and then Toronto's like third in the league, uh, 13th, I mean. Calgary's 14th there. Edmonton, it's a, it's a jumble of the rest of the division. Um, and then obviously there's Ottawa, who happens to exist and is atrocious in that regard. But even they're 17th. Like they're ahead of Vancouver when it comes to shot numbers. They just have the worst goaltending in the NHL. So like. And they're a minus 29 on goal differential, and they still have given up less holes than Vancouver has which is nuts nuts like Vancouver I think it's interesting I disagree with you on your Vancouver point that you could see this coming because we really we sat on, on this zoom call and talked about Thatcher Demko for about 45 minutes one day over the summer like, <laughs> we just it was like the Thatcher Demko memorial like we just talked about how freaking awesome this guy is our guy Matt Constantini is all over Twitter just like loving it up because we all remember when he was so great in the world juniors and they just kind of sat there in Vancouver for so many years he finally gets a chance, and he carries Vancouver to Game Seven against Las Vegas, and they finally and they lose. But I mean, I I I think I picked them to make the playoffs. I have to look at the Excel sheet, but I think I picked them to make the playoffs. Besser has scored a bunch of goals. Peterson's been okay. I mean, yeah, losing Chris Tanev was never going to be good, but they have one of the best young defensemen in the world in Quinn Hughes, and. I don't know. I was expecting a little bit better from Vancouver. I, I was. And I, I was expecting better from Demko and Holpe. I mean, Brayden Holpe is a, is a real goalie. Like, he's Listen, not – he's old, but – Here's what I'll say about this. I'm not saying I wasn't expecting them to get, like, high-level goaltending again. Like like we mentioned, like, Demko and Holpe, like, you come into the season expecting that. On paper, that's one of the best one-twos in the league. Correct. 
my biggest problem with them was I think from an analytics standpoint, this was not a team that could sustain winning. Like people were saying that they had the makers and they have elite talent. Like I'm not going to deny that. Like, I mean, you won't find a bigger JT Miller fan than myself. Um, Elias Pedersen is awesome. Quinn Hughes is Quinn Hughes, like top two American defensemen right now in the NHL. But from an analytics standpoint, this team is pretty bad last year. And you look at them now, like, from an expected goal standpoint, um, they're in the bottom of the league in that regard. I mean, they're third to last in the NHL in expected goal percentage. They're not dominating the shot share. And when that's the case, you really have to rely on elite-level goaltending to win games. And that hasn't been the case this year. I mean, listen, on paper, Demko and Holpe looks pretty solid, and rightfully so. But, like, at the same time, like, you need, you need them to be the best of the best in order to win games. And that hasn't been necessarily the case so far this year, even though they've been getting good goaltending, um, which, like, I'm not going to deny they haven't been getting because they have. I mean, you look at the numbers overall, it's, it's not horrendous. Like, from a high-danger save percentage standpoint, they're getting decent goaltending, but overall, it's not good. Like, they're bottom five in the league when it comes to overall goaltending. The shooting percentage is under 10% for them this year. And that was going to always be the blueprint for them. Their high-level players are going to have to score, which kind of struggled to do so lately, other than Besser, like you mentioned. And the goaltending. And overall, they haven't gotten it. So we'll see what happens with them going forward. That division has been really fun to watch. I think it's been good for the league. Um just to see these Canadian teams go at it. But I think that's where we'll wrap up today because though we had some fun discussion about hockey, no need to get into the horrendous marketing that is the outdoor game here before we go quick predictions. What, what do you think happens this weekend? Um, like I mentioned, Avs and Vegas on Saturday, it's a three o'clock start and then Bruins flyers um, on Sunday. That should be a fun one. Again, both taking place at the Ed Woods. Tahoe Resort Golf Course in State Line, Nevada. Um, I think those should be two fun games, but I, I'm not. I don't really care about the hockey, to be honest. I care about seeing what this arena looks like because I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I was watching uh, Colorado Vegas last night, and they had these videos, like the drone shots of the lake and the the rink. It looks pretty sick. Uh, if you have me pick them, I'll pick the Avs and the Bruins just based on their better teams. But uh, the Avs just beat Vegas last night. I think they're wearing their reverse retros. Don't quote me on that, but they might be. Um, so that should be I would fun. Think they probably are, but they probably are. Um, that will be fun. I think that that's been a poor marketing thing too, because uh, the Islanders have not worn any jersey besides their regular ones all year long. I think the Rangers have worn Lady Liberty twice, and the Devils mm-hmm. haven't worn green once. And they they had us all excited about these jerseys, and they're just. Never I'm out on the Liberty jerseys, by the way. You're out off. Yeah, uh, you can't see, you can't see the last names. Yeah, you can't tell what they are. Or you can barely see the numbers. Yeah, on those jerseys and. Like, I know people love the Liberty jerseys and stuff, but I thought they could have done a better job with them personally. Not to get into a whole nother topic on this show as we wrap things up, but personally, I am out on the Liberty jerseys. And I agree with you. I mean, the Islanders one is barely different, too. Like, it, it's a horrible reverse retro jersey. They could have gone so many different directions. The Fisherman was such an obvious choice that was just standing out there as Chris shows his water bottle with the Fisherman sticker on the show. But that'll wrap it up. Chris, a pleasure to be back with you, as always. Um, of course. We'll definitely get a few more of these before – my time at Fordham comes to an end, but 
Once again, another episode of Five on Three from Chris Hennessy. I'm Jackson Heil. We'll see you guys next week.